take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hello, and this is Paul Nixon. We want to welcome you to another edition of Field Preachers Podcast. I am joined today by Jonavern Lungub, who is the pastor of the Abu Dhabi United Methodist Church in the Middle East. Um, Jonah Verne was born in the Philippines, the youngest of 10 siblings, um, to a family of farmers, and his earliest job was to be a shepherd of water buffaloes. And he's moved from water buffaloes to human beings, and he is now invited, been invited to um, lead a church in a very um, missional um, zone of the world where Christian faith is only a tiny um, fraction of the population. And we're excited to visit with Jonah Verne today to learn a little bit about what God is up to in the Middle East. Jonah Verne, welcome. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. And hi to all listeners on your podcast ministry. And as we record this, it is about 3.30 on the East Coast of the United States. And it is, what time is it in Abu Dhabi? Around 11.35 in the evening. All right. Yeah. Well, um, we are truly a global church, and we thank you for being up at this hour to, to um, visit with us and share a little bit about what God is up to in your life and in the life of, um, of your community. Um, how in the world did you get from being, um, well, you, you grew up in the Philippines, and then you did theological education in the United States, and a lot of people have done that. How did you end up in the Middle East? Uh, by the way, Paul, when I when I finished my MTS at United Theological Seminary down there in Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. I I took I went home actually to serve our church in the Philippines. Ah, okay, okay. And I, uh, yeah, then I I serve as administrative assistant to the bishop during weekdays while pastoring an English congregation in the weekend, and then like two years in the homeland while praying where to to do my doctor of ministry or PhD. And then I landed in Boston University School of Theology. Then while praying for what to do with my research project, uh, during a prayer time in my devotion, the Lord just like impressed on me of the overseas Filipino workers in diaspora. And then while on my second semester in Boston, my bishop, called me if I'm interested to do research on the OFWs, we call it overseas Filipino workers or migrants in the Middle East and consider the mission here. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> well, this is one of the things about the Filipino um, family of people. I mean, they move all over the world. They really are a, um, a group of people. They, they, they work everywhere and, and they take their faith with them, I guess, as they go. So that's, a, that's kind of a neat thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, we have like ten more than like around ten point two million Filipinos overseas, wow, right around the globe, and four million there in the United States in Northern America, and like just of the two, two like twenty or oh, two thousand statistics, two million Filipinos went outside of the country to work in different countries around the globe. Yeah. Wow. And you and um, the Philippines supplies a lot of medical um, personnel. You're famous for that all over the world, and um, apparently pastors too, huh? Yeah, you're right, Paul. Yeah. We're we're su- uh, we're supplying nurses and doctors around the globe. At the same time, Filipinos, committed Christians, share the gospel around the globe. 
Well, I did not even realize that in the United Arab Emirates that we had, um, it, is it two churches? One in Dubai and one in Abu Dhabi? As of now, we have five churches here in five the United churches. Arab Emirates, yeah, wow. and 13 mission points. And we have also one local church in Doha, Qatar, and one in Kuwait. Wow. So around seven local churches now. And are you a, a, a district or a, a, a missional conference, or are you connected with a conference in the Philippines? Where, where, where's the connection? We're connected with the Philippines Annual Conference. That's the mother of all conference in the Philippines. Okay. And right. right now in the Middle East, uh, we called it Middle East Provisional District. I see. I see. Well, I am fascinated by the whole idea of, of um, Christianity taking new root in a part of the world where it has been around a long time. But um, but obviously a, a part of the world that has been dominated by Muslim culture for for centuries. Um, ha- has there been some form of Christianity before the Methodist arrived in Abu Dhabi? Were there other churches around in the community? Yeah, uh, you know, here in the, in the Arabian Peninsula, as early as fourth to fifth century, right, there were existing Christian communities. And by the way, there are archeological facts uh, unearthed here. Uh, they found it a, a Christian missionary in uh, yes uh, island here in Abu Dhabi, and so there are evidences. And now, prior to the coming of Methodism in this uh, Arabian Peninsula, we have in history like the British Methodists working here, like because this was a former protectorate of the British Empire, and and together with the ancient churches like the Orthodox churches, the Arabian. Uh, Christian communities, so they were here and they are here until now. So you're so, so you're stepping into a pretty long lineage of um, of Christian work in in that part of the world. Yes, well, by the way, the gospel has like completely circulated the globe already, right? Absolutely, <laughs> several times. Yeah, several times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's you're working primarily at this point with. Um, um, people who have, have were born in the Philippines or whose parents were and who live in this part of the world because of work assignments um, is is are most of your church that population or do, are you reaching some others as well? Most of the church members are Filipinos, right? Uh-huh. And uh, the, the uh, others brought their families here, and. Our worship services are open to all nationalities also because we have uh, experts coming from around the globe, like from the U.S., uh-huh. from Europe, and from the African countries and other Asian countries like South Korea and other Asian nations. So we're open for other nationalities, but basically most of the, the worshipers are Methodists. So do you see tourists and business people that are there for work? Do they attend worship sometimes? Do they you know, international guests? We, we, we see them occasionally. When they look for a um, United Methodist Church, and because we're located on the key cities, so they just Google it up and then find a United Methodist Church, and occasionally we see them here. Yeah, yeah before I heard of you in this work, I mean, I work for the United Methodist Church and have so for years. I would not even have known to go to, to even Google it up. I think it's really amazing um, that you're there and getting started. Um, oh, we're also on Facebook, on social media. <laughs> okay. 
well, I'm going to friend you as soon as we're done with this, with this um, conversation. Um, what is the cultural challenges that you find um, in a society that is so heavily dominated by a Muslim um, culture and um, assumptions and traditions and so forth? Are the, what challenges do you find there um, doing the ministry of a Christian church? Uh, on my observation, of course, we need to be culturally sensitive because the, the dominant culture is in the United Arab Emirates and other Arabian Peninsula, uh, other countries in Arabian Peninsula are Islamic. So we're always aware that we need to, to respect them. So somehow you need to be discreet, not to be explicit on the, on the public. But the constitution allows uh, freedom of worship among the other religions. It's only that we need to respect the dominant culture here. So somehow uh, in, compar in comparison with the United States and the Philippines, we have so much freedom, right? So here you're always considering to be culturally sensitive with mm -hmm. the Muslim neighbors. And of course, the worship day here is Friday. So the, the Friday is the day of worship. So you would also like uh, adjust on your time rhythm or cycle. <laughs> So we, the practice of Christianity here in the Arabian Gulf uh, would somehow uh, adjust with the rhythm of culture and time and custom. That makes total sense. I mean, for you, the Sabbath is Friday in that world. So you get on the same time zone, really, with that. Totally. Yes, totally I agree. Yeah. So um, the Middle East is sort of a, a, an area that's famous about a very conservative role for women in society. Does that impact the church to, or, or to what degree? I mean, the... uh, since, since most of the attendees here in our churches are basically Christians seeking uh, Christian worship services already. So in the United Methodist Church, we, we somehow have this culture of uh, equal opportunities, equal uh we, we offer ministries and mission for the women, right? Uh, but concerning the, 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 the society of the United Arab uh, Emirati people, they are also like compared to other Islamic countries like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is a neighbor here, or Iran or Afghanistan, they are doing a greater or good job here. Like on my research, uh, there's like 15% of Emirati women on the on their uh, association or the, or the Chamber of Commerce, and oh. they are involved in, in the governance here compared to the limited freedom of the women in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The United Arab Emirates is doing much better concerning women's rights and equal opportunities in politics, economics, and, uh, and of course, there's a limit for the women in leadership in the Islamic religion because until now, uh, Leadership on the, the Islamic religion here is only for men like the imams, right? Sure, sure. So your people in your church that are there, some of them have lived in the area for years, I guess, because of work. Yeah? They, yeah. This isn't like a short-term thing for them. They li they're living here. They're raising their families here. They may have grandkids here. I mean, they're, this is getting to be home. So um, how do they do education with their children? Do they send them to public schools? Do they go to private schools? How, how do the kids find education? In the United Emirates, similar in the Philippines, in the United States, they have private schools, they have uh -huh. public schools. So parents are free to choose where to send their 
uh, their children. There are also Christian schools or, or what I mean, international schools. Okay. Yeah. And so you have kids in your church that go to all different kinds of schools. I would. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Yes. Well, very good. Very good. So, um, my guess is then that it's very different. This is a good sort of a beachhead for Christianity in the in the 21st century in the country where you are, as opposed to some of the countries around you that are much more, um, um, I don't know what the word is, strict about um, religion and culture, a little, little more freedom and space to operate in um, the United Arab Emirates. Is that fair? Is that true? Yeah, you, you're accurate, Paul, because like, here in the United Arab Emirates, the government takes the initiative of promoting tolerance and inclusion. I think because most of their leaders are also educated in the West, either in the United Kingdom or in the United States. They send their kids, their children, their leaders for uh, training or education in the West. And they are still practicing Muslim, but compared to the other countries in the Arabian Peninsula who are borderlining to extremism, the government of the United Arab Emirates takes initiative to combat extremism and promote a peace-loving kind version of Islam. Yeah. So do you have church members that work outside your country but relate to your church that work in adjacent countries? Are you, you mean here? in the yes. yes. Or is everybody just local? I guess I'm wondering... Are, are, it, are there, because I, I would imagine it's impossible to, to plant a church at this point in Saudi Arabia, but I just wondered, because I know Filipino folk are working everywhere, they're working over there, in energy companies and so forth. I just wondered if, if some of the people that are based in your church are working in some of these other areas that are not quite as free. Yeah, like, for example, during the pandemic, we have the virtual worship services via online, so we have uh, Christians attending from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia which is we're in the, uh, the constitution prohibits the practice of Christianity. But we know there are underground churches there, right? Right, yeah. So, so this, this pandemic somehow uh, connects uh, migrants, Christian migrants all over the Arabian Peninsula by attending sure. virtual worship services via online. That's fantastic. And so now that the pandemic is, well, the pandemic, we're in the middle of it. It's not, it, it, it's, it's easing up in the United States, but I don't know what, where are you in the pandemic right now on, on the peninsula? Is it, I mean, are cases, go, are vaccinations happening? What, what's happening with that? Uh, in the United Arab Emirates, the, the rollout of vaccine is somehow considered as one of the finest or best uh, here in the Arabian Peninsula because they are performing at their best. And uh, I think they're doing pretty good here. Okay. Well, that means the COVID rates will go low there. Um, so, so you're kind of in the, the end of the worst of it um, there, unless there's some variant we don't haven't seen yet. But um, as the p pandemic subsides, will you keep the online ministry going to sisters and brothers outside of the, the country where you work? Uh, I, I, I talk with my, my, my with the ministerial team of pastors like we're planning like to uh, to do both kind of uh, worship services. We would go back in person when the time is right. At the same time, because there are uh, members and uh, other worshipers who attend like not only in the United Arab Emirates, but other countries as well in the Arabian Peninsula and around the globe, we would maintain our virtual or online worship service for that purpose also. So we would do both 
Well, well, that's um, that's really encouraging. I mean, in that sense, we um, we've really discovered a new way of connecting um, during the pandemic all over the world um, as people are crossing national lines to worship together um, online. Um, what can Christians in other parts of the world learn from your experience? What I mean, um, in a in a place where even though Christianity is old, the church is young. What 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 perspective are, are you um, gaining about life, about faith that the rest of us could learn in places where Christianity has been around for a while? I think uh, on my observation, first for the Arabian Christians, the Arabian Christians remain here in this country like they don't lose hope of a peaceful coexistence with their with their neighbors who are Arabian Muslims, like the hope of Salam and Shalom, which is, is the essence of the Prince of Peace, is the Al-Masih, the Lord Jesus Christ, or uh, uh, Yeshua Mashiach, right? So this, this uh, in the midst of extremism you know, on ar- around, right, in this, in this region of the world, there are uh, Arabian Christians who are, with the grit, with the perseverance that we need to pursue, we need to live here, and our existence here would somehow show forth the gospel of peace of Isa al-Masih, our Lord Jesus Christ. And for the Christian migrants, like the Filipino overseas workers, somehow would see that even in this region, a possibility to live with a peaceful coexistence with the Arab uh, Arab people are, uh, uh, is real and possible, right? While uh, uh, being partners of building the nations here or co-builders of the nation. So somehow our, the presence of Christian migrants like the Filipino Christians bring a fresh uh, kind of atmosphere that we can live with, uh, we can coexist together. And this country is modeling to other na- uh, Arabic nations that somehow you, this Muslim practicing their Islamic religion can be still faithful to their Islamic faith while friendly and maintaining cooperation with other religions, even with the Christians. And the Christians to live the great commandment, to love God and love your neighbors, as well as to demonstrate the, the faith that we believe on the Prince of Peace, like the Lord Jesus, that we can live with peaceful coexistence with the Muslims here. In this so, part a, so, so this is a part of your witness here, is just the, the demonstration that people of faith can live side by side in a peaceful way, um, which is not an idea that everybody gets in, in that part of the world. I mean, so. Um, yeah, you got it right, Paul. Right. Not all the Arabian nations are in this problem of that. They cannot tolerate with other. Right. They cannot coexist with other uh, religions or races in the world. There is a model like the United Arab Emirates that is showing to their fellow Arab, Arabic nations that we can, right? And open to the international community, at the same time portraying a peace-loving kind of Islam, right? And right. working together to make right. this region a peaceful nation. So although there are a lot of challenges because of the branches of Islam also, like uh, Shia, Siti, and Sunni. So in the Roman Empire, um the early Christian movement was was um, powered by um, Jews, and um, right now your movement, at least, is being powered by Filipinos. But then there came a point where it 
you didn't have to become a Filipino to become a Christian, so to speak. <laughs> you didn't have to, bec- you didn't have, you, you, you could, you could sort of move from the, the, the host culture, wherever, whatever part of the Roman empire you were straight in to the experience of Christianity at some point in the future, that's going to happen um, and begin to happen. It, and, um, or maybe you're already seeing the beginnings of possibilities of that, but it's going to jump ethnic lines at some point. Yeah, I agree with you, Paul, that the, there's an element of the gospel that can touch every tribe, every race on earth that somehow would help peoples of different tribes and nations and colors that uh, could, could, could somehow connect with each other at the same time, maintain their diversity and uniqueness. Yes. As that happens, though, it will be challenging for everybody. It'll be challenging for, um, you know, that um, Arab mother that's wondering what her children are getting into, you know, with that, you know, weird Western religion they're, they're flirting with. So it's going to bother her. But at the same time, I mean, as you contextualize the faith in that space and make space, it's in some ways, there's, go- there's always going to be a challenge to the, the Christian organization and the way we do things. And, and um It'll be an interesting journey, but not unlike the first century. Yeah, surely. Because like in the first century, I think that the, the strata, the social strata wherein slavery was dominant, right? So somehow the, the walls and divisions and barriers were extremely difficult compared today that the digital age somehow is bringing connectivity in the positive sense, but on the negative sense, isolation, if uh, the, 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 the contemporary generation is sucked in on individualism in the corner of the room. <laughs> yeah. Now you're doing your, your doctoral work at Boston. You're, you've had to pause that due to the pandemic, but once that travel becomes easy again, you'll be, I guess, traveling there some to finish that up. But are, are you doing um, a thesis with, related to that degree uh, focused on ministry in the Middle East? Yes, Paul. Like um, I'm, 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 I'm bringing in this uh, the the formulation of holistic framework of equipping uh, that making missionaries. We call them overseas Filipino workers here, like living fully as a Christian at the same time migrant, yet in uh, applying an integral mission, a holistic kind of thing. Like you're you're practicing a cultural sensitivity kind of missional praxis at the same time relevant to the issues and realities of the migrants here with the social justice dimension responding to crisis and distress, migrants in crisis and distress, and like human trafficking and other uh, social issues. And at the same time, the, the bedrock of our of our, the Methodist theological framework of personal and social holiness, of being brought by the gospel, of encountering Christ and responding to that, the, the, the responding to these powerful saving ways and on the journey of transformation through discipleship for the Christians uh, living the, the, the kind of life where uh, integrating Micah 6.8 and the great commandment and the great commission together, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Years ago, when I was um, in the Philippines and learning about United Methodist Ministry there, I was really impressed how in the new 
church development, there really was an integration of social holiness and outreach to the practical needs of people as a part of the foundation of sharing the gospel. It was always it was always a both end. Um, you didn't just come in and hold services. You came in and um, responded to human needs. Often starting a school for kids to raise them out of poverty at the very same time that you were starting a church or just before that. As you look at the Middle East and where you are, is there a similar um, dynamic? Are you are there social issues or just human needs that you are beginning to work with in order to as, to sort of set the foundation for your witness for who Christian people are, what Christianity is about? Uh, yes, well, we 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 use the same uh, holistic or integral mission framework because you know among the migrants. Uh, specifically with the pandemic right now, uh, a lot of them lost their jobs, other like work, uh, they do a, a no work, no pay basis oh, kind wow. of thing. Other uh, receive a decrease, uh, lowering of their salaries. So it's a dominant kind of problem right now. But we have found out like uh, uh, there are Christians who have worked for many years now and have like resources, savings and investments that they practice radical generosity and the collective kind of help through the church would somehow reach out to those affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's it's a way that the Christians can reach out people in crisis and distress, as well as those who are stranded here because they cannot, like your, your, your the contracts are finished and then they cannot go in the in the home. Uh, they cannot fly to the Philippines because of the, the, the flight ban, like kind of thing. Right. So they need like help. And uh, so the church, the churches are avenues wherein we can do the acts of mercy of bridging them. And uh, uh, until they can, uh, uh, what I mean, they can able to stand on their own. And we do also like when there are uh, migrants who are ha- having this problem of uh, victims of human trafficking to connect them with agencies or NGOs that can help them kind of things. So the social justice dimension of the wit- uh, Christian witnessing is always integrated in the way of church planting here and growing the churches in the Middle East. So you've mentioned human trafficking a couple of times because both Dubai and and to some degree Abu Dhabi as well, these are major transportation hubs with lots of people coming and going, coming and going from all over the world, changing flights and so forth. So it, is that part of it? Is that why human trafficking has traffic that are, that's moving through there because there's just so many people coming and going? What, 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 what's driving that problem? The very root of the problem, Paul, is that like the, the there are agencies like those human labor kind of agencies uh, uh, abusing the vulnerability of those uh, workers in the Philippines applying for jobs, like promising them to have this kind of jobs. But when they reach here, and then like for example, I, I met I, I met a, Fil- a Filipina who like. Uh, expected to be hired as a, uh, a she, she finished like a big battle of science in tourism management. She expects like to work in a hotel, like a, a receptionist maybe, or an, a better position, but she landed like a sweeper, a janitress. 
So somehow a lot of those things of uh, deceptions and lies and like others like they offer to his visa visas like when they reach here they they applied legally and then they are they are victims of uh, uh, they are abused by those employers who took advantage of their of their uh, their status here like you're here like an illegal migrant so you're vulnerable to be abused by right. people who take advantage of your uh, illegal stay in this country so the real focus of your ministry really at the first level is of all different kinds of people who are largely Philippines heritage people that are here and you're seeking that that's that's your first line of work is ministering to them when they're in distress helping them to um, have a Christian community for their families to raise them what percentage would you say of the Filipinos that are in um, your country what percentage of them have um, a Christian foundation when they come there? Is it high? Is it low? Uh, my observation, Paul, you know, the Philippines is a predominantly Catholic, right? Nation, right. like uh, around, around 85 kind of thing, percent. And then there's the mainline Protestant churches and the other percentage uh, uh, would fall on among the, the independent evangelical denominations. So the Philippines is somehow, in my observation, it has a, a, a large percentage of nominal Christianity. So you may be like culturally born in a Christian family, right. but the vibrant kind of encountering the Lord, uh, most of the Filipinos need to have that kind of experience, which somehow the method of spirituality can offer like, uh, a call to repentance and, and then a call to, to, to trust Christ's saving grace as your Lord and Savior. Uh, we have found out that's very relevant for Filipinos uh, engaging them first on a heart level and relationship and helping them joining this new kind of uh, like if you're coming in the Philippines and you need a community or support group so the church offers such kind of thing at the same time uh, uh, joining with them on their dream to, to become stable in their life and uh, help their families in the homeland. That's because like, you know, the problems of Filipinos here in, in the Arabian Peninsula, uh, they usually fall into first, like if they don't manage well their salaries, they, they are entrapped into a debt. So a lot of them would fall into debt, right? And then addictions, and immoral relationships. Because there are two main reasons why Filipinos go abroad. First is to help their, their families in the Philippines uh, to, to be set free from poverty. Second right. is if they're set free from poverty and then to strengthen the family ties. But when the faith factor, transforming people in their spiritual and to become morally strong, if that is forgotten, most of them are like, go home, uh, go home downhearted, brokenhearted. So that's why the spiritual moral component of, of formation among Filipino, Filipinos, Christians, uh, and nominal and seekers and anchors, uh, we missionaries here uh, found the relevance of the churches to engage them in order to experience this kind of transformation that when your life is transformed in the inner core, 
spiritually and morally, then you can manage your families, your salaries, and your, your uh, resources or your dream entrepreneur kind of thing. So that Absolutely. you would not stay employees forever in the foreign land being slaved by your employers, but somehow dream that someday you would from being employee into an entrepreneur or homepreneur and build your life there in the homeland after five to 10 years, uh, stable and free and run your own uh, kind of entrepreneur. So somehow we're aiming that kind of thing that in the near future, Filipinos would not forced to go abroad because they need jobs outside the Philippines. But somehow we're dreaming that there would be a day that there would be no forced migration because of mismanagement of resources in the Philippines, as well as the, 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 the inner core of spiritual moral dilemma problem among Filipinos. Now, if you're nominal Christian and you move to a place where there's not many churches, you're going to get more nominal. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you didn't, there wasn't much going on in terms of faith practice in your life to start with. The habits were very weak, maybe holidays, and then or to you know, make your grandmother happy. And now you're over here. I would think that a lot of those people become basically inactive in, in their faith practice, especially if they've grown up in um, long established denominations, Catholic or otherwise, and it's not been a, a living experience for them. They get here and it sort of goes dormant. So you, you probably have a pretty good population to reach just looking at those folks. You probably could fill up several churches just with that population, the people that are, that have. Yes, you're right, Paul. They're really unchurched is what they yeah, are, even the, though they come from a Christian background. There's a great work here to reach out and engage uh, Filipino migrants as well as expats coming from Africa and other Asian nations. What I tell you a story, in the other side, where there is persecution and prohibition of Christianity, like the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, okay, the Philippines, right. there are like, because of spiritual hunger, there, there are a lot of Filipinos, uh, how do we call it, awakened spiritually. Yeah, if, okay. if we're using the word get converted, like I'm a former nominal Protestant, nominal Catholic, not actively or practicing Christianity in a vibrant way. When they reach Saudi Arabia and they have this spiritual crisis and hunger, they usually their lives usually transform. There, when Christians who are faithful and committed in sharing the gospel with, through the underground churches, these nominal Christians or unchurched hear the gospel for the first time and see the relevance of having faith in the Lord Jesus and the transformation of life being brought by the gospel. And many of actually the good news is. Uh, uh, upon hearing up those stories in Saudi Arabia, some of them become pastors and missionaries. Wow. My lifestyle. Underground, like engineers, nurses, doctors, you're professionally practicing your vocations there as nurses, doctors, engineers, yet they are sharing the gospel in such a way that engaging their colleagues or fellow workers. Our engineer on this recording, um, Lake Davis and I were in a conversation just earlier today with a pastor in a different part of the world where Christianity is basically frowned upon would be, a, would be putting it lightly. And when the, when the government authorities appear, their church is trained to move on a dime to move from amazing grace to the happy birthday song, just like that. Yeah, they, it. Yeah. they do the same in, in Iran and kingdoms of Saudi Arabia. They do that as well? Yes. The happy birthday song? 
That yes. was just new to me today. That's, 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 that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. You're worshiping on a, a like your basement, like the, the the birthday parties kind of paraphernalia and props are prepared, uh-huh. and at the same time the worship service. When the the, the 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 religious police comes in, and then they turn into birthday party, and then they are safe. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. But it reminds me every time I sing Happy Birthday. I'm going to be prayerfully, you know, thinking about these these folks that are that are doing the work in um, in tough places, you know, in tough places. Um, you're right on the front lines, connected with that underground church. Um, do do um, I mean in in terms of people coming out of there, like to come to shop or do business in um, the United Arab Emirates? Do you hear the stories of? of I mean, are you seeing? People from the underground church that come and go is that? Do you run into these folks occasionally? Uh, there, there are cases, uh, Paul. Like uh, after finishing their contracts in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, they cross country and apply jobs here in the United Arab Emirates. And we have members who have experienced those kind of thing in in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So it's so deeply encouraging hearing their stories. Like even the vibrancy of their faith, like there, if they worship and they pray, they earnestly worship the Lord and pray, like the, they pour out their whole being because like it's, it's prohibited, right? So they see like the, the reality of being protected supernaturally by the Lord and their faith are growing and they are not afraid to engage colleagues and friends to share the gospel and at the same time having this kind of risk. But one thing for sure, their lives are transformed. And then after their contracts ended there, they cross country either here in the UAE, it's, which is more open. And there is a religious tolerance among Christians as long as you want to share the gospel to the locals because Islam here in the United States, uh, United Arab Emirates is still a, a state religion with somehow uh, with allowance for the Christians to practice their religions. So listening to their stories would really uh encourage you to to grow in your faith <laughs> and and my my knowledge is a little bit slim here but i think over the many centuries in the middle east under muslim rule what you're experiencing there has been common for long stretches of time where um even though it was islam was the dominant um religion and sort of the official religion there was freedom for other pr- religious practices that that was a pattern probably more widespread at one time than maybe it is today. Is that is that true? I think uh, if I remember it right in history, for example, the Ottoman Empire, that the state religion is Islam with a somehow allowance for the Christians, like the Orthodox Christians, in certain way with a lim- uh, limited practice of Christianity while submitting under the, the Islamic rule. So I think the, the, the sheikhs, or the, the leaders here somehow pattern in history on the way they deal with other religions. Well, um, I don't know what else to ask except to say, I'm just really excited that you're there, that your church is there on the, on the edge of a, an amazing mission field. Um, what are your dreams for your church in the years ahead? Um, what, 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 what do you see as possible um, for Christianity in um, in your part of the world? Uh, 
the presence of Christianity here in the Middle East, specifically where I'm residing at now in the United Arab Emirates, I'm looking forward for a kind of church of Christianity that uh, engaging their neighbors with a radical kind of com- of love, of, of compassion, and there to show that uh, living in Salam Shalom as a faithful followers of the Lord Jesus, uh, not only a possible thing, but a real thing, kind of thing. Like it's time for Christians to take the risk, right? At the same, uh, while radically demonstrating the love of God in Christ's name, uh, faithfully witnessing. At the same time, like uh, passing this to the young generation of Christians who in a way that it would progress uh, and, and the relevance of the gospel comes along with that through the transformation of lives. And alongside with that, uh, to engage in the business world, in the policy making kind of thing. Like uh, for me, I'm aiming that after all my immers- immersions here, I would be in uh, and my studies in Boston, I'm aiming to engage my, my leaders in the Philippines like uh, on how to better, uh, how, first in the, among my, our church leaders, how to do a kind of mission here that is culturally sensitive, uh, relevant to the needs of the migrants, and at the same time, faithful to the essence of the gospel. Like in, integrating the Micah 6, 8 with the great commandment, the love commandment, with uh, engaging people and presenting still the claims of Christ faithfully without being uh, being arrogant kind of thing. Right. But radically right. loving. You have you have emphasized the radical love several times in this conversation, and it really strikes me that there's no way forward really for Christian ministry in this part of the world except to be people that are known for radical love. So in other words, you can't ex- you can't escape the the call of discipleship. It's not just a um, lifestyle for um, your you know personal um, edification. It's it, the credibility of the gospel is at stake. And unless people are living in ways that are notable, that give that, that give Christianity that kind of reputation, um, the work of the church will be marginalized for a long time. So that's a pretty um, that's a pretty big challenge for those that are um, followers of Jesus in the Muslim world. I mean, they can't, they, they've got to live it. They can't just talk it. Yeah, I agree, Paul. Yeah. I think that's in the heart of the Lord, right? Yeah. Uh, well, we're, we're, we're have, we, the church has such a negative reputation among young adults, especially in the West right now, and it's the same issues. I mean, the church has, is associated with all kinds of stuff. And until we are known as a people who live in a certain way, we're, there's a whole generation that will not be evangelized in the West either. So, yeah, I agree, Paul. Uh, that because if we if we don't go that way, the way of radical love to our neighbors who are different in faith, in ways, in language, and then if we we are left with the option of demonizing the Muslims, generalizing that they are all war freak or terrorists, which somehow damages the witness of the church. 
Yes. That there are Muslims who are honestly seeking, peace-loving, and would like to connect with Christians. So Christians should show forth that at the heart of the gospel, the essence of the gospel is radical love for their neighbors and somehow would connect us with them. And then even in our lifestyle kind of thing, words and actions and behaviors, before they ask who is the Al-Masih, according to the faithful witnesses of the four canonical gospels, like they should first see the radical love of the Lord through our lives and the way we connect and the way we, we reach out to them or join with them on this region of the world. The gospel according to Paul and Jonah Verne. We've got to live it. <laughs> they will know we are Christians by our love. That is such a simple idea. And yet, when I think about the reputation that Christians have in all parts of the world today, it is uh, um, an idea that we need to return to. And um, we, we will be praying and watching what God is up to. Um, I, I, um, I mu it must be exciting that God has called you to that place to be, um, to be an ambassador of love and for the Lord Jesus Christ um, in the middle of, a, of the Muslim world. Thank you, Paul, for having me and sharing the, our stories from this corner of the globe. Jonah Vern, if we want to learn more about your church, is there a place we could go on the web to discover more? Uh, right now, we have uh, the social media. We're using social media, Facebook and YouTube. And we can share that. Uh, if I go I to Facebook and I put in Abu Dhabi, D-H-A-B-I, um, UMC, will, will, some, will, I get, will I find you? Yeah, UMC Abu Dhabi. I can share you the link, Paul. Okay, very, very and good. And I can invite you as, well, as a friend. Uh, All right. And hope you're <laughs> that, that sounds good. Jonah Verne, I hope to visit with you again in the future. Thanks so much for um, sharing with us. We will be praying for your work and um, for, the, for your friends and colleagues, sisters and brothers in Saudi Arabia and those near where it's um, much more difficult to serve. Um, this is Field Preachers Podcast, and we thank you for joining us today. Field Preachers Podcast is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.